I don't think you can separate discipleship from studying scripture because that's where we learn. That's how we look at the master. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and competence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 18th episode of Working with the Word. We are stepping away from our whole story series for the moment as we've had the opportunity to talk with Rick Ligon about the importance of studying God's Word to make our faith our own. We hope you enjoy, and we know you will benefit from tuning in today. Hello, everyone. Emerson here, and I'm with my co-host, Jeff. We also have a special guest with us, Rick Ligon. Rick, how are you today? Very good. Thank you for having me today. Well, you're welcome. We're excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're talking with Rick about how to make faith our own through Bible reading and, and Bible study. Before we get started, let me just introduce you real quick, Rick. Rick is an evangelist for the Paris Avenue Church in Peoria, Illinois. He's been there for about 15 years. He has preached for almost 40 years, both in the United States as well as overseas. He's been married to his wife, Candy, almost 40 years as well. And we were talking earlier, they have three grown children, all with grandchildren uh, living close by. He said that he's kind of living in a tub of butter with that situation. <laughs> um, but most importantly, Rick is a follower of Jesus and has been since the age of 20. And that's where we want to start today. Uh, just talking earlier, you grew up in a Christian home. Not only that, you were a preacher's kid. And so why don't we start by talking about, can you share with us kind of zoomed out view of like how you decided to become a Christian for yourself? Well, um, I think the Lord has to get people's attention in different ways, and He does. And I was not uh, had not followed the teaching so much of my parents in terms of, you know, their their desires for us to follow the Lord and be Christians and that sort of thing. And a lot of reasons, maybe because of that. But I had kind of taken a walk on the wild side and was taking a walk on the wild side. And I had a had a friend who his name was BB Israel, and uh, BB began to build a friendship with me. He was a married man. I was twenty years old, and and he began to build a real good friendship with me and remember the church there in Panama City, Florida, where we were worshiping and my dad was working. And um, he began to help me realize that uh, I was living a dangerous life. I was making bad choices. Um, I was involved in a lot of things that were, you know, could have long term consequences, uh, especially eternal consequences. And he began to help me realize that I in some ways he sort of put the fear of hell in me and sort of God sort of used that, you know, some people have to kind of be knocked over the head, I guess, to say, Hey, you need to sit up and pay attention. And that's what happened. And I began to think about the need to obey the gospel and follow Christ. And of course I, I knew all supposedly all the right answers and that sort of thing. And I uh, began to think about those things and it took me some time to, to really make the commitment, I was very, very afraid that I wasn't going to be able to follow through with the commitment. I understood that discipleship was about making a lifetime commitment to follow Christ. And I was concerned about that. Uh, eventually, though, I just I just made the decision that I'm going to go ahead and do this. 
and I, I, I stepped out and obeyed the gospel. My faith was pretty, very, very much in a baby form, as it were. And it was really after I became a Christian that that I really sort of began to verify my faith more and more and, and mm-hmm. think more in terms of, I, 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 I believed it myself, but I wasn't, I hadn't maybe done all the investigation. And so that began a process that, that, that lasted and continues um, as I try to continue to grow as a disciple. So that's kind of the way it, it ultimately happened after I, I was a cabinet maker at the time, uh, had a trade, uh, but decided after, uh, well, pretty quickly, people started encouraging me to think about preaching. And I, and I ended up deciding to do that, which was also a good, good decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's that, that process of investigating your faith as you grow as a Christian, you, you want to get a greater foundation for why you believe what you believe. And it's that, that we kind of want to focus in on today. Uh, and especially um, since this is a program about Bible study, how, Bible study relates to that. And so I heard you speak about this in 2019 at a men's overnight Bible study. Uh, so we wanted to have you on the program to talk about how we do that. Uh, so sometimes we talk about this idea of making faith your own. Um, how would you define that? What does that mean? What does that process look like? Well, I, I, I believe that when we talk about making faith our own, we're, we're saying it, it, it belongs to me. It's, it's something that I have come to. It's no longer something that I do because mom and dad told me or because of some influential person in my life, you know, who, who, who sort of moved me in that direction. Sometimes people, I, I think many people end up sort of inheriting their faith, either from their parents. I think that that's basically true in regard to even people who are in the world, whatever people believe very often, it comes not as a result of, I'm really investigating this fact and I'm going to find out what's true. And therefore I've reached the conclusion that I ought to be a Christian or I ought to be an atheist or something like that. Very often, it's simply something that they've sort of inherited. And uh, I think that at some point we have to, we have to get away from this being something that I've just sort of learned and accepted from, from my parents or from somebody around me. And I have to begin to say, what do I really believe? Is this really what I understand to be true? And that I think is really what, uh, you know, making my faith, my own is involved. It involves making this something that I have come to believe because I've looked into it and I've seen, I've concluded on my own that this is in fact, true and right. And I want to follow this. So that's basically what I think that's, that's about. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any passages in the Bible or principles in the Bible that would relate to this idea? Well, yeah, I think, uh, for example, one of the passages that I think about maybe is, you know, Isaiah 29, where uh, this is actually a passage that Jesus quotes with regard to the tradition of uh, the Jews. And he mm-hmm. makes the observation in Isaiah 29 and verse 13. He says, then the Lord said, because this people draw near me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their heart far from me and their reverence of me consists of a tradition learned by rote. Therefore, I will once again deal marvelously with them. That's the new American standard version reading. The idea is that, that for many people, their view of their, their convictions are things that they've basically just been taught and they've accepted them. And it's become simply a matter of a memorized acceptance of something. And we've got to get away from that. And so that ultimately uh, our faith is not something that has been handed to us, but something that, that becomes our own. I think of a passage like in 
second uh, Corinthians one and verse 24, where Paul talks to the Corinthians and he said, you know, it's, he, he didn't want to lord it over their faith. He said, then he added, he said, for in your faith, you are standing firm. We have to stand firm in our own faith. It can't be something that's, you know, just kind of handed to us and we sort of blindly accept it uncritically. You know, we just kind of that sort of thing. Uh, it's something that we have ourselves have, have looked into. And I think that that's what that is about. I, I think also there is a very strong um, emphasis in the New Testament that God does not expect us to be people who are credulous and gullible who just sort of blindly accept things. Think of passages like First Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul talks about, he says, uh, verse 21 and 22, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. I believe that God expects me to look at things and examine them for myself, you know, in light of his word, you know, to find out whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing, whether what is right or wrong. And then I hold on to the good thing or hold on to the right thing. And I hold off on the, the bad thing. But the point is God is calling me to examine everything carefully. And so these are passages I think that suggest this idea that I need to look at this thing myself. Mm-hmm. You used a phrase earlier, the word discipleship. You talked about even that being a commitment, it's kind of a, a two part question Could you explain discipleship and how it connects to our study of God's word, why those two would relate, and then how we would think about being in the word and how that is going to help us develop or strengthen or maintain our faith in God's word? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, discipleship starts in faith. I mean, you know, ultimately, I think it's very interesting, for example, when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, he said that he, he really, if you look at the text grammatically, he said that there was one thing he wanted them to do. He wanted them to make disciples. Literally, it's the verb form of disciple, disciple the nations. Mm-hmm. So that's what they were supposed to do. And that process, according to that passage, Matthew 28, 19, that process is a two-step process it involves baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it also involves teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. And the point is that in order to be a disciple, so it's kind of like we might say to a kid, come to me, hopping and skipping. So come is what we want him to do, but we're actually telling him the way or the process that we want him to come to us. And that involves hopping and skipping. And so make disciples and the process involves baptizing people into a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it also involves teaching them, not teaching them all things that Christ has commanded, but teaching them to observe all things that Christ has commanded. So to be a disciple, I have to have made a fundamental commitment that mm-hmm. I'm going to observe everything Christ commands. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life. I don't know what all those commands are, but I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning those pr- commands and putting those commands into practice. But the commitment to follow him as as Lord, to, to, to let him be the one who tells me what I'm supposed to do. That's a commitment I make up front. And the reality is, if I struggle with that, somebody says, well, I, you mean I've got to do that before I even become a, a, a disciple? I have to commit to obeying him and everything? Yes. And if you don't do that, then you don't really 
believe and trust Jesus like you should. And so sure. we're going to have to start back with a person back be, before that to try to get them to recognize that he's somebody that they can put their trust in. But the point is, once we once we make that choice, we've made a choice now to be a student the rest of our lives, mm-hmm. to be people who are, because, it, you know, the basic meaning of a disciple is that he is uh, a student who seeks to follow a, a master, a teacher of some sort, and seeks to be like that teacher. And Jesus uses that basic definition of discipleship to talk about people following him in passages like, passages like Luke 6 and uh, and also in, in Matthew chapter 10. And these, these texts tell us that a disciple is fully trained. When he's fully trained, he'll be like the teacher. And, and it's enough that we are like the teacher. And so the point is what disciples do is they spend their whole life trying to learn from the teacher and trying to implement his character into their own life and, and imitate him and follow him and live like him and, and be a duplicate of him as it were. And, and that requires listening to him. And the place where we go to listen to him is in his word and studying the, the text and trying to understand what Jesus would have us to do and be and, and that sort of thing. So that's very much connected to, you, you cannot separate. I don't think you can separate discipleship from studying scripture because that's where we learn. That's how we look at the master. That's how we learn what the master is all about. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let's shift gears really quickly. We've talked about the importance of being in the word and that's really the source of our faith but shifting gears a little bit to thinking about maybe some struggles that someone who is trying to own their faith might go through. I guess, first of all, do you think that every Christian goes through this process? Yeah, well, I think every Christian ought to go through this process. And I think that every Christian does go through this process at different levels. Um, Some, my wife is a wonderful woman and she's extremely godly lady but her faith is very simple. She, she sort of looks at the world around her and it seems to her to be self-evident that God exists, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the idea of God existing is based on evidence and evidence that she's looked at, mm-hmm. but you know, she's, she's not one of these people who's taken a great, it just seems so obvious to her that sure. God's here. And, and so that's what moved her then to become a disciple. And I, on the other hand, have, have been a little bit more hard-headed about those kinds of things. <laughs> I want to look in things a little bit more closely and, you know, ask some of those difficult kinds of questions. And I think that if we don't go through that process, that what happens is we end up not being real disciples. We end up being disciples who are weak and who struggle the whole time and who, you know, struggle to have faith. And I think that if a person has been a Christian uh, for, for many, many years and still is struggling, he needs to think about whether or not his faith is really his own and whether or not he's gone through this process. Because I believe that once we are convinced that God exists, that, that Jesus is his son, that you know he died for our sins, and, and, and we understand that to be a, a tr- the truth, then that powerfully motivates us to change which is by the way i will tell you this one of the things i think everybody ought to do is they ought to settle the issue in their mind about whether or not jesus raised from the dead mm-hmm. because i believe that if we can settle that issue if we can decide that that's actually a, something that really 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 hurt, happened in time and space that's a real event of history that this this man actually was killed and really really died and actually came alive again i think that that will re- 
that will radically change our whole approach because if he died, if he really did die and actually did come alive again, then he is in the best place to tell us what we ought to believe. He's the best one to tell us why, why he did that. And if he said he raised from the dead to declare him to be the son of God with power. So God must exist. If God has a son, God exists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, Jesus has proved himself to be the son on the basis of the resurrection. He now tells us how we ought to view God. He tells us how we ought to view the Bible. He tells us what we're supposed to believe. The point is once that's settled for us in our mind, that this is in fact true, it becomes then the basis, in my judgment, for uh, for successful discipleship. And that's, I believe, why so much of the preaching of the gospel, you go through the book of Acts, and they're, they're not one sermon in the book of Acts that doesn't include the death, burial, and resurrection of mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. That is the, the, the basis. So I often say it this way, the most important human event in all of human history uh, as regards our salvation is the is the death of Jesus, but the but the most important event in human history as regards our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The fact that He raised is what makes the death of Him dying for my sins makes that believable. And I believe when we settle that issue, we're a long way down the road in in being successful as a disciple. And I don't know if I answered the question you were asking, but. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got off and started preaching there for a minute. Excuse me. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, just thinking about some of those doubts that that people might have about uh, you, you take someone who grew up in in um, either in a Christian home where the Bible was taught, you know, moral values, um, or someone who did not grow up that way. Maybe they became a disciple later on as they're going through this process of making faith their own what are some common struggles or doubts or questions or uncertainties, particularly in relation to Bible study um, that they might have to uh, face and try to overcome and, and how would they overcome those? Oh, particularly in related to Bible study, you know, I, I think obviously we've got to decide how we're going to, how we're going to view the text. Is this God's word or isn't it God's word? How authoritative is it? Does God mean what he says or or, or not. And those are all questions we're going to bump into. And we're going to have to try to answer them from the perspective of what does God actually say? And does he really mean what he says? And so uh, those are things that I think we have to, we have to deal with. I, I think one of the problems that we have sometimes is that gets in the way of us understanding and coming to our own, to a real faith is the fact that we, we have, we struggle with objectivity all of us struggle with, mm -hmm. with seeing things the way they really are instead of the way I want them to be. And too many times our Bible study is approached with an agenda. You know, we've got something that we want to prove or that we want to disprove. And, and instead of letting the text tell me what to believe, I sort of approach the text with, a, with an effort to try to, to make it say what I want it to say. And I think that's a that's a, a, a struggle that we sometimes have. I, I, I'm, I think we have to really, one of our problems is our heart when we study the scriptures. You know, Jeremiah talks about the fact, Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is, uh, what does he say, the, the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is, yeah. it is uh, desperately sick, who can understand it. And the reality is that understanding our own heart and making sure that what we're after is really the truth. The truth is what matters to me, not what I want or what I would like or what I don't want, 
but truth is what matters to me and let God tell me what the truth is. That to me is something that, that sometimes gets in our way uh, because we're not as objectively after truth as we ought to be. Would you say that's just a, you know, Emerson mentioned in his question, you know, someone who grows up in a Christian home, maybe versus someone who's in a non-Christian home. Would you say that's just a non-Christian home issue, or do you see that there are Christians who struggle with that question as well? Not at all. I don't think it's just a non-Christian problem. It's, yeah. it's a problem that we all face. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so many of us want, we start out with a conclusion, and we try to figure out how we can prove that conclusion. And we mm-hmm. look at the things that support our conclusion and we sort of turn a blind eye to the things that don't support our conclusions. Yeah. That's where being honest with ourselves and honest with the text and honest with what we're really after. Am I really after the truth or not? And I think, by the way, one of the things that parents ought to be very concerned about doing in helping their children ultimately grow up to have their own faith is not so much the matter of indoctrination. I'm not saying that they ought not to teach them what the Bible says, but they ought to most importantly teach them to be truth seekers and to want truth. Because if we want the truth, investigation, though it might be uncomfortable and though it might take us down some uncomfortable roads, and though we might ask some questions that make us and our parents or other people uncomfortable, the reality is if we really are after truth in the end, that's what we'll come out with because we're mm-hmm. really after truth. Yeah. That, that's one of the things that we've talked a little bit about on our program in, in past episodes is dealing with those preconceptions, right? And, you know, how do we, how do we deal with those? Um, before we leave that topic, I, I want to get your thoughts on, you talking about the heart. We want to make sure that our hearts are seeking truth, but how do we engage our minds in a way that ensures that while we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading, we're, we're not just seeing what we want to see. How, how do we make sure that our minds are engaged as well? That's a good question. I, I, I think, you have to, <laughs> I mean, again, a great deal of that has to do with our own self-honesty, our, our willingness to be honest with ourselves, and, and, and ask ourselves, am I really after, am I really letting God tell me what to believe and practice, or am I wanting to try to, to, to see what I want to see? And so I, I think it, there's a, there's a high level of integrity that comes with being a good Bible student. And uh, I think that one of the, you know, one of the things that, that sort of takes away from that is, is laziness. Uh, sometimes we, we, we get a little lazy and we don't want to do the work. And so sometimes we're just looking for the answer that we're looking for, Mm -hmm. or, or sometimes we go to someone who can help us with the answer, but instead of so many times people come to me and they want to know what's the bottom line on something, you know, Mm -hmm. can I do this or can I do this? And I said, well, let's go to the scripture and let's try to figure out, no, no, no. Just tell me what can I, can't I? Well, I'm not going to tell you that because even if I tell you what's true and you practice it, you're going to believe and practice it because, and your faith will be in me and not in in God. And our faith has got to be in God. And that's why it's imperative that we not be lazy and that we, we actually see what God says rather than, rather than just, you know, I want a bottom line. And the reality is, you know, if you want the bottom line answer, you, you just look hard enough and ask enough people, you're going to find what you want. Yeah. 
going to find the answer you want. So sure. Yeah. So it's it. I do think that being keeping our mind engaged so that we still are in the pursuit of truth that that's a very hard thing and it's it's something that we have to constantly be reevaluating what are my motives what am i thinking where am i at aimed here and that's something i've got to keep keep working on all the time so you're saying discipleship isn't really simple and easy is it huh no it's not mm-hmm. I, I i i wish there were a way that we could just kind of be zapped with it and boom it's <laughs> You know, but but the reality is faith and following Christ, the faith is is forged in the crucible of hard work, Bible study and learning and practicing, putting into practice the things that we learn. And, you know, it, it it's just going to take hard work. And, you know, Christ never said this thing is going to be simple. He never, right. never he never said that. And uh, um, I, I think that 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 one of the things that often dis- distinguishes those who are true disciples it's you see it in the new testament one of the reasons jesus taught in parables for example was because he was trying to find the person with the investigative spirit i think there were a lot of people who went and heard jesus parables and they thought wow that's kind of interesting yes i wonder what he meant i don't know let's go on home you know <laughs> but maybe he'll make some food for us or something uh, <laughs> But uh, but the disciples always you always read about the disciples going to Jesus and saying, what did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference in somebody who's a real disciple and somebody who's just kind of casually interested, maybe interested for in Christ for self-serving reasons. And so we've got to be that kind of person who who will, is willing to go ask the questions and who says, I've got I'm not satisfied to not understand this thing. I've got to try to figure out what the Lord meant. And that's the guy who's going to, who's going to make, make it as a, as a disciple, I think. Yeah. Those are two very similar questions, but very, what do I want you to mean? And what do you mean? Right. Very important distinctions, no matter how similar they may be. That's right. That's for sure. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to something you said just a minute ago, and this is something that I think you touched on in the talk that I heard you give a couple of years ago. You said that we need to learn to practice God's word for ourselves. I, I think I can wrap my mind a little bit better around like studying for yourself, but what do you mean by practicing it for yourself? Well, I, I believe that we've got to actually put it into, put it in practice. I, I believe mm-hmm. that, that Bible study is not the goal. The goal of discipleship is not to know everything the master knows. The goal of the discipleship of discipleship is to become like the master. Mm-hmm. And that involves getting to know what he figuring out what he wants me to know. But then also critical to the issue is me actually putting it into practice, doing mm-hmm. it. And very often it is the doing of it that makes me come to realize the value of it and why it is that my Lord has asked me to do this. I begin to realize you know, the good that comes from that. And so I believe, so I, I sometimes make the comment that uh, observation that any Bible study that does not result in a change in me, in, in who I am and what I'm doing and my actions is simply not good Bible study. You know, if you're, if you're studying because you're trying to answer somebody or you're trying to win an argument or you're trying to, or you have no real intentions of practicing it, there is no value in that. That's not real discipleship. Discipleship isn't about just knowing what the master wants me to know. It's about living like the master wants me to live. And, and therefore I've got to put that into practice in my life and to do it. And I really believe that oftentimes 
our problems, even with understanding scripture, are not so much a knowing problem as they are a doing problem. So, for example, the story of in Luke chapter 10 of the lawyer who comes to Jesus and asks, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, how do you how does it read to you? You've got the scriptures. How does it read to you? And the guy actually takes two passages of scripture that are not connected in the Old Testament connects them together, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, Deuteronomy 6, and Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, if you do this, you'll have eternal life. And Jesus said, that's right, do it, and you'll live. And the guy then tries to justify himself by saying, you know, well, who's my neighbor? And the problem, that that guy's problem was not a knowing problem. It was a doing problem. Mm -hmm. Often the problem that we have with discipleship is not that we can't figure out what the Lord wants. It's that we can't bring ourselves to do it. We're, it's too hard. It's not what I want to do. Yeah. And, you know, that's where the proof of genuine uh, commitment to Christ ultimately comes in. It's not just learning what he wants me to do, but actually putting it into practice. Can't mm-hmm. emphasize that enough. Like you mentioned earlier, it was go make disciples. It wasn't just baptize. It was teach them to observe, not just give them that knowledge. Right. Well, as we come towards the conclusion of our uh, time together today, um, part of this program was birthed out of the idea of a phrase that I've heard used before and maybe all of us are somewhat familiar with. I haven't heard it used yet today, but we just wanted your thoughts about the phrase deeper Bible study. If someone were to come up to you and maybe they heard it from this program or maybe they heard it from someone else, they mentioned, we want to encourage you to get deeper in your Bible study. What does deeper Bible study mean to you, Brother Rick? Yeah, I'm not real sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that sometimes people think that deeper Bible study means that we uh, sort of approach this from some sort of academic perspective or that we look into Scripture and we find that unique special thing or whatever, you know, that so I don't, I don't really know exactly. I'm not sure. I mean, I think we just, I think about you, you know, when you talk about what does a beginning Bible study Bible student need to do and what does a medium age Bible student need to do? And what does a a seasoned disciple need to, they all need to do the same thing. They're just doing it more intently and more intensely and more, more uh, thoroughly and more carefully and more. And the scope of that becomes bigger and bigger. And we see the connections between this grand message, I, I think that, you know, so many people start off with just learning something about who Jesus is and don't understand the whole scheme of things that that's, that's involved in, in that. So I, I think the, the longer, maybe if I think of deeper Bible study, I, I feel like I'm, I'm beginning to learn more, have a better appreciation for this, this whole thing and how it fits together. And, and, um, seeing the, seeing the connection there between this whole thing, because it becomes, it, it amazes me sometimes as I look into scripture and you sort of sometimes think that, you know, these are just a collection of stories, but they're not just a collection of stories. They're, they're a collection of stories and they're actually ordered. You know, why is the, why the order of the gospels slightly different and some are very different, you know, it's because the author has a specific purpose and a specific audience that he's writing to, and he selects and organizes those events in a way that best help him to get the point across to the particular group of people that he's talking to. And when I begin to see that, it deepens my understanding of what God would have me to do. So I I think 
a part of that is in, is involved in maybe deeper Bible study. So, you know, I, I think, I think one question that I always need to ask myself, I had an old teacher, his name is Phil Roberts. He's gone, been gone for a few years now. He was one of my mentors and Phil used to say, you always ask the question, why am I being told this? And so when you study your text, study the Bible, you understand that this isn't in here because, you know, God had one round of writing his book and he had picked it up and looked at it and said, you know, that's not a very impressive book. <laughs> throw in some other things just to make it bigger, you know, I'll throw in some chronologies or something like that. Just God didn't write his word that way. If it's in the word, it's, it's in there for a purpose. And I need to try to figure that out. And I think maybe as I do progress as a disciple and begin to get stronger, and I try to look into things more deeply, I'm beginning to figure out why we're being told this. Yeah. Because the reality is when I started out, there were a lot of things I was told in scripture. I didn't know why we were told that, you know, but the yeah. point is we, we, we come to realize and we see that there is you know, a great unity and that this, this whole thing fits together and it is a part of a purpose and part of a goal. And I think that asking ourselves the question, why am I being told this helps me get to that. And I think that that's what helps lead me to, to, if we're talking about deeper Bible study, maybe that's what helps me. One of the things that helps me to get there is I'm beginning to understand why all of this was, why this is here and what, how it connects to the overall thing that God has made. So maybe from that perspective, I guess I, that may be what I would think of as deeper Bible study. I don't know. Is that the right answer? <laughs> <laughs> we don't no know. Right We're still so searching, but that yeah. was very helpful. We appreciate that. Good. We've actually gotten a similar answer that, you know, it's not just head knowledge. Deeper Bible study isn't having a stack of commentaries. It's not getting out your Greek concordance and, and those are helpful, but it's as an article that we referenced earlier in the program uh, a few episodes ago, it's about getting deeper, uh, getting the word deeper into me, into my heart. That's um, true. Yeah. Again, this, this matter of, of it actually changing me, we're involved in, you know, Paul talks about in Colossians chapter three, that we're being re renewed after the image of Christ. Uh, I like the marginal note in the new American standard version is the idea of renovated after the uh, image of Christ. We're being renovated. We're going through this process of getting rid of some uh, things that were bad and, and, and be building more and more into my character, the image of Christ. And, and that ultimately is what I'm trying to ultimately accomplish is I'm trying to be more like him so that I can then glorify him more and be of help to others who are seeking to glorify him. Because it's not just about me and my relationship with God. I'm trying to glorify him, not only just in my own life, but I also glorify him by helping others come to glorify him. And so that's a part of that whole process. And so that, that whole change that is happening in me is very, very important part of this whole, whole process. By the way, you mentioned something about commentaries and all that. I, I'm, I got commentaries too, and I think they're helpful, but I think that they ought to be something that we use very, very carefully. And, you know, there's some things that I would advise people, for example, when you read your Bible, I think you ought to ignore the marginal notes and, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, don't reach for a commentary immediately. Mm -hmm. And I really think that we need to, we need to sit, sit down and take some time to just figure out what is the text saying and I, I, I know in Bible classes here, I've doing, done it for years, I'll ask questions and people will so often want to answer something that's 
I don't know, unique or something. And I'm just saying, no, no, just tell me the words that are in the text that answer this question. <laughs> and the reason that's important is because we're now seeing what we're actually being told. Mm-hmm. And, and we're letting the text tell us what we, we need to know. And, and, and then that helps me to better. And, and then I can figure out some applications or whatever. But yeah, so. Yeah, good stuff. Well, let's uh, wrap up with three fun questions. This is something we ask all of our uh, people that we interview. Who is your favorite Bible character? And the one rule we have is you can't say Jesus. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Boy, I think in some ways, it, it's some ways Peter. Uh, I think Peter is the kind of guy I identify with Peter because mm-hmm. I put my foot in my mouth a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, Peter's the kind of guy who who demonstrates to us that, you know, sometimes we give the apostles a hard time or people, the disciples in the New Testament, how silly it was that they, they denied the Lord or how silly that was that they made that choice. But I think that in the disciples, we see ourselves very, very clearly. And we don't really want to acknowledge that. But the reality is I see myself in Peter sometimes because uh, I, I did some of the same, do some of the same things that he does. So he's a, he's a very important Bible character to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite book of the Bible? Hmm. I don't know. I, I think I, I really like first Peter. (laughs) (laughs) I I like first Peter. I'm not just, I, I wasn't expecting these questions, but I I think first Peter is a good book. I I really like the Philippian letter and, uh, and I like, I like some of those old Testament texts as well. like the book of Genesis and yeah. So all of those are, are great, great books. It's all good, right? The Bible is the Bible. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And then our last question, we we have a mutual friend and he has informed me that you have a particular disdain for a common condiment that you would put on your hamburger or hot dog. Um, So if you're going to McDonald's and you're ordering something, are you going to ask for mustard and mayonnaise? I will never ask for mayonnaise. In fact, I will make sure that mayonnaise is not anywhere near my bun. <laughs> the, I, you know, when, when God looked down and made all things pure, you know, said that all foods were pure. I don't know that it had entered in his mind that we would invent something like mayonnaise and much less put it in our mouths. And so I, I think that it's probably that's excluded as a good food. <laughs> there's, there's a case of me wanting to read the text the way I want to read, but, but I tell you, mayonnaise is a nasty substance. It's a vile thing. Yeah. <laughs> Unclean food, right? Yeah. And I, I think I know our mutual friend who told you this, but most people know, know this about me. Brother Rick, we really appreciate you coming on today and talking with us. And uh, we really appreciate the things you've told us and talked with us and get us to think about and some difficult things about being honest with ourselves and opening our eyes and seeking the truth. But some of these that are helpful, I know at least for Emerson and I, and we pray will be helpful for our audience as well. Thank you again for your time and for your words. And may God continue to bless you in your work that you do. Thank you very much. Thank you for having Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. So as we look back on our conversation with Rick, Jeff, what was your one thing that stood out to you that was most helpful? Something that really stepped on my toes was as he was talking about having 
just that honest heart as we study God's word and this phrase of being a truth seeker. We want to be someone who is not seeking to find what we want to find or seeking what best fits our church's answers, but what is the actual truth? And that's hard stuff to do. And I think that that just kind of reminds me, I've been a Christian for 14 or 15 years, and as a preacher, it's kind of my job to to know the Bible and to you know proclaim the Bible. But that always goes back to the core of all of that aside, and for whatever all that would be worth, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have to start with that fundamental question of what is the truth and trying to find that from what God says, not from what I want God to say. So what about you, Emerson? What was your one thing from our conversation with Brother Rick? Uh, there is a lot, <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the one thing that stood out to me as we were talking, and as he said it, I was like, that's, that's going to be it. I, I don't know if I'm quoting Rick uh, perfectly, but it's something to the effect of, if Bible study doesn't change something about me, then it's not good Bible study. And there's not a whole lot I can add to that, right? <laughs> uh, it just reminded me of the importance of not just studying for academic reasons, but that if my Bible study is really going to be effective, I've got to apply it and live it. That's what deeper Bible study really means. Yeah, absolutely. So as we try to think of a challenge for relating to our episode this week, this is kind of a different challenge. It's not really a do this this week and then move on from it, but it's really more of a just sparking a thought, kind of even going back to maybe kind of a finding your why thing. The challenge this week is to do some very honest evaluation with this particular question or the questions that relate to it. Do I really believe that this is God's word? And what do I mean by that? Why do I think this is God's word? And how does that fact change the way that I read the Bible? And more importantly, how I live the Bible? Those are heavy questions. And as Emerson and I were talking about a challenge, that's not something that can probably be a you know, submit that by 5 o'clock today and you'll be done and move on. This will probably be a lifelong change. But those are some important questions that Brother Rick kind of has sparked for us to think about. We want you to think about those things this week as they think they'll help you make your faith your own and it'll connect to our study of God's Word as well. Thank you for tuning in to Working with the Word today. Next week, we plan to release another interview with Brother Tommy Peeler as he helps us with our study of the law section of the scripture and seeing how it fits into the whole story. Until then, if there are other questions or topics or books of the Bible you'd like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word working with the word podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.